when you're in that legalistic box, you miss, you can miss grace. You can miss a lot of things that, um, well, you do this and you don't do this. I mean, it's just, that's how it is. You do this and you don't do this. And it's right. like, and it's a lot of things are more complicated than that. And I found that to be hugely true as I raise children. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. You know, that you add that level of like how you're thinking about it and your soul and your emotions are also a factor here. And just to say, to ignore those and to only say this is right and this is wrong is not necessarily the best way to teach a child to then make good choices. You're listening to the Find the Story podcast, where we seek to build a diverse community passionate about making the world a better place to live, work, and to play by learning to listen. We invite our guests to be vulnerable as we listen in on their story and hopefully realize we have more in common than we might have originally thought. In this episode, we hear from our last guest, Matt Chenoweth's wife, and our very good friend, Erin Chenoweth. Hello, Erin. Hello. We go back a long, long way. Yes, a long, long way. So let's start a long, long way ago and tell us a little bit about your upbringing, where you were born, parents, siblings, all that. I was born um, similar. I was born in St. Louis, uh, Missouri. And I have one younger sister who's six and a half years younger than me. Two parents, obviously, and grew up going to the same church that you did. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, listening to your podcast. I was like, I remember when he played music at the youth group. Yeah, I was right. probably in the youth group around. I was very young. I was young in the youth group when you were playing music. I just remember that. In the yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So um, and your mom taught me Sunday school. Of course. At some point. Yep. So that's probably our origin story. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. But I grew up in the St. Louis area going to that same church and um, went to private Christian school in the area mm-hmm. and had a pretty typical childhood, I would say. OK, yes. yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, we did a lot of cool things. Um I got to travel a lot. I got to. Yeah. Where where did the travel come from? How does that come um, about? With my dad's job, if you produce so much, you earn trips, basically. Like yeah. Okay. You earn up to two trips a year. So. And to some pretty crazy places, to too, some right? Pretty crazy. Yeah. Everything from Florida, Disneyland to. It took me to Europe. It's taken him insane places that I just to clarify, since we we were just talking about, you know, another connection that you and Sarah have. When you say Florida and Disneyland, you're talking about two different places. Oh, yes. Florida, Disney World, California, Disneyland. We have to make sure that's clear. Yes, very much. I live by Disneyland now. So we've become Disneyland people. Right. Um, Although we love Disney World, but we can drive two hours and get to Disneyland now. Of course. Um, so part of the other thing that I have to ask everybody is a personality assessments, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, DISC, any of the above that you've ever taken? Um, I've taken DISC and Myers-Briggs in high school, and I don't really remember much about that. Fair enough. Okay. I thought they were really, I remember being very interested in really cool. And then it's been a long time from now, and I'm excited this year to take them all again. That's one of my goals for 2020 to take right. them and explore 35 year old Aaron. <laughs> right. Versus, yeah. Versus 18 year old Aaron. <laughs> it's interesting to see how they shift and change. Some of them shouldn't change. Some of them should, depending on Myers-Briggs is one that, that may change depending on your, your context and things like that. But yeah. hopefully we'll have a time to chat more and about some of those. Wasn't cool when I was in high school. Of course. Like it wasn't yeah. trendy like it is now. So I'm excited to take that it is quite trendy and interestingly enough in the church world it is quite trendy even though it 
Definitely looks like a pentagram and very <laughs> cultic looking symbols, but that's okay. So then as you find yourself 35 year old Aaron, what now at this point in life is motivating for you? What are you passionate about? What do you enjoy doing? I would say I'm passionate about my family. I stay home with both my kids and that's a lot of fun. Um, tiring sometimes, but a lot of fun. We plan to homeschool our oldest this next year. That's exciting. Yeah, it was not the original plan, but we live in a tiny little town and there's not, it's not actually a tiny little town. We live in a decent sized town, but the schools aren't great. And it just, um, it doesn't fit with some of the choices our family has made. Matt gets three day weekends. And so we, we like that. And him going to school five days a week kind of takes away the coolness of getting to go explore California and do cool stuff like that. Um, So I'm excited to do that. I'm super passionate about adoption. I have been for a really long time. Matt, I think, alluded to that in his He did. And yeah, there's some interesting origin story questions there that we'll have to do some fact checking for now (laughs) from you and then maybe get you both together at some point and clear the air on some of those things, maybe. So passionate about adoption, where does that come from? I actually, and I think depending on where you are in the Christian world, this is not, and this is not uncommon, but I heard Stephen Curtis Chapman talk about adoption when I was like 16 at mm-hmm. a concert. And I, I obviously knew it existed and I, I, but I didn't have much connection to it and hearing him talk about it and personalize it. It just got my attention. And over the almost 20 years since then, I've, I, my passion, I guess, has just grown. Um, it's taken a lot of different forms with what I thought adoption would look like in our life and what where we are now, which is licensed to adopt, but in a waiting place okay. um, domestically, an infant, um, which is not where we started at all in kind of the thought process or the journey. But this is where God has led us. And but also have two awesome biological children of your own. We do. We did think we would adopt first. That was kind of a that was something we thought would happen and it didn't. And that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's totally yeah. fine. Um, but it was, it was just a big, it's always been a big passion. I was considering adoption, adopting even as a single woman before I met Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, I was older, wasn't dating. And it just, it was such a huge passion. I'd done a lot of education. I, I, I had a community of people who were also interested in it. Um, and I actually was considering moving forward in that as a single woman. And then I met Matt and then it was a unified thing between us. Yeah, and right. so um, it would just kind of went from there, but it's always been a huge, a huge passion of mine. Okay, good. That um, I'm sure that'll come up a little more as we talk, but tell us uh, a little bit more, connect the dots from growing up St. Louis area to today. What is, what has that journey looked like for you? Well, I love St. Louis and I would have probably lived here I mean, forever, um, except for toward the when I was picking a college, I was ready to I needed some distance. And uh, I had high school was I, Matt alluded to this, too. I enjoyed high school, but my home life in high school was less than pleasant. OK, can uh, you tell us more? Or? Uh, my mom was just really sick. And, OK, um, she knows that. And we, obviously and we've worked through lots of counseling to get to yeah, yeah. get past a lot of that. So none of that would surprise her. But it just was. It was hard. She was really sick. I had a lot of responsibility, less support mm-hmm. from her. Um, and so I just needed some distance. So I went to school in Colorado, Colorado mm-hmm. State, and um, it was studying awesome. what theater. It, that was not the intended goal either. It kind of came about 
organically. I didn't really know what I wanted to study. I had a couple ideas and then theater became theater with fashion design, costume design became a thing. And then through projects that I was given and mentors in my life, it actually became stage and set design is what my field is. That's an interesting path to just come out of nowhere to not be planned for and just show up and theater in high school. Yeah. None. Like it's not like I was a theater kid in high school and went to college and was like, I want to do the theater. I, so what was the first connection for that? Um, I thought I might do fashion design. Okay. I wanted to be in the design world. I didn't love interior design. I think I didn't know enough about interior design and I would have clicked in there, but I had some misguided views of that. And so I went toward fashion design and thought, eh, this is a culture I'm not as into. There wasn't quite as much ethical, maybe modest designers that were out there that I could see. And I was like, eh, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to go very far in this. And the, that turned into historic costuming, which then turned into, okay, I could design for theater, which is the historic part. Right. Plus actually designing my own stuff. Um, And that's where it started. And then by like my second year, I had just had a couple mentors that had pulled me in to the painting world. And so then it became set design and I was trained as a scenic artist. So okay. I big murals. Yeah. Yeah. That's and we've luckily had the opportunity to work on some things together mm-hmm. when it comes to that. So yeah. that's fun. Um, all right. Keep going. So college, you went yep. to Colorado, mm-hmm. graduated with uh, uh, scenic art and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Yeah. What's next? Um, I thought I'd stay in Colorado, but that did not really work out. So I ended up moving back to St. Louis. Theater's a hard field to be in. Anyone in it is going to tell you that. It's just kind of, it can be a doggy dog world. You have to, you work really hard for not a lot of money and it's just hard to get your foot in a lot of the time. So there weren't really doors opening for that. And I knew I had some jobs available for, you know, living <laughs> as an adult. Right. Back yeah, in St. of course. Louis. So I moved back to St. Louis um, and worked at Edward Jones for a while. Okay. Um, And then that turned into, I came back to the church we'd grown up in. I ended up with a job working with youth there, which was super fun. Mm -hmm. I loved that. And doing creative things. That wasn't the job part. That just happened. I actually ended up with a third job. So for a decent couple of years, I had three part-time or more than part-time jobs at the same time. It's kind of nutty. Yeah. Um, What was the third one? What were you spending your time doing? for a startup, um, uh, one of my best friends from high school started a um, online subscription company. Okay, and um, I was a buyer for them. And nice. So, so this was in playing dumb on this, but I am familiar with it enough that it was one of the subscription boxes you subscribe to, and each month you get something you got, cool on the box. Yeah, you and, got, uh, something handmade. Her niche was handmade items for women. Okay, and so jewelry, pottery. You know, lots of, you know, picture frames, candy, I mean, everything in the in the couple of years, there was quite a bit. Um, and that was a lot of fun. That was so as was, a buyer. You got to fill got the to, box. Yes, I got to pick stuff. I spent a lot of time on Etsy. We went to um, a couple big shows where we met with designers and yeah, it was super fun. I loved it. Sounds she like actually that. owns a store in St. Louis now. She doesn't do that anymore, but she owns a cute little boutique now. So it, oh, that's is, cool. it has transitioned into that for her. Nice. Um, so I was working three jobs, kind of crazy. The adoption thing kind of came along in that. I did a lot of stuff with our church with the adoption stuff. And then I met Matt. Then... Okay. So this is where the fact checking has to come in. Okay. How did how did this begin? How did you meet Matt? Um, our mutual friend, Justin, 
had hello justin again shout out two in a row (laughs) hello justin um he had mentioned he had a friend who he thought i would maybe click or be interested in um he told me he was eight nine hours away and i brushed it off i was like no i'm not yeah long distance yeah i'm not i'm not signing up for that or i won't pursue that so i just kind of ignored it um and then matt did send me a facebook message like he said, and I did text him back and he did not text me back. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah. that part was yeah, yeah, all, yeah, yeah. that was, I was out of town. So I was like, is this, I don't know why it's not working. Um, and it kind of went pretty quick after we started talking. We just talked a lot and it went pretty quick after that. And, and then he's coming up to St. Louis every week. And yeah, I had brushed it off. I'm glad, obviously I'm glad he did not. Um, but I think he flew up like within like two and a half weeks of us talking. Okay. He flew up and I was kind of like, whoa, what is. That's okay, pretty bold. Yeah. Pretty bold. Someone yeah. taking a lot of initiative, you know, a lot of. So was that the attraction? What, what clicked for you in Matt? I think that was a lot of it. He's a good talker, um, which you have to be to have a long distance relationship. I think anybody who's had a successful one would most people at least would say. You have to communicate. You have to communicate by phone or Skype or text. And so um, if one person doesn't do that, it doesn't go very far. So Matt, he's a good talker. We had a lot to talk about. Um, We did click on adoption and other things we enjoy. Um, Mm -hmm. We're very, very different. Matt, um, I think Matt said, Justin did say our babies would be little Leonardo da Vinci's because I'm an artist and Matt's an engineer. Yeah, Um, that's a good point. And so that's that was one of Justin's selling points. Yeah. Um, and he just was, he's fun and he made me laugh. Yeah. So it, it, and I was, I would say, I think we were both old enough that neither one of us were really messing around. Like I wasn't just going to date for fun. Right. I was older than a lot of my friends when they got married and it was like, well, if this isn't going anywhere, then I'm, I'm out. Yeah. I think we had that conversation at one point where it's like, this is either something or it's not. Yeah. And if it's not, I don't need to waste my time. Well, and the rest is history because yeah. it was something. It was. So that, that's a good something thing. Great. And then children come along. Is, yes. is that next? Yeah, that was that was quick. I mean, I was seven months pregnant at our first anniversary. You okay. know, so mm-hmm. baby moon anniversary. We went to Kansas City and went to Ikea to buy furniture for the, you know, the baby's room because there was no Ikea. In Sounds Louis like a grand yet, old time. You know? yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back to the adoption thing as you have two amazing children how is kind of the adoption mindset fitting in um, at that point when you find out you're pregnant with Jack and et cetera, et cetera, till today? Um, Well, Matt and I like to say we're really good at filling out paperwork because we fill out paperwork, we get like halfway there and something stops us or changes. So we'd started paperwork and some research in one area of adoption that we're not really pursuing anymore and then found out we were pregnant. So we got put to the side and then we, we started again thinking this is still something we want. We've always wanted that. That's how we want to grow our family. We then, so we did everything and we got licensed in St. Louis. We got licensed in November and Matt took the job in California in December. Yeah. Um, And that was, you know, that was kind of like, okay, like we definitely felt California is where we were supposed to be, but we, it was definitely disappointing to think we did all that work. Now, it went with us and we were able to get relicensed in California without completely starting over. And we're still working with our agency here in St. Louis. It's a tiny little agency, but we believe in what we believe in what they do and how they treat 
birth moms and how they counsel. And um, it's not something where the door is going to swing open really fast Mm -hmm. because they don't place that many babies a year. But we we like them. And in the adoption community and the adoption world, if you're if you're in it, you know that there's more corruption than we'd like to admit and more just the way profits are dealt with or how they treat birth moms and coercion and different things, it can get messy and nasty. And so we just like this agency. And so we've said we're going to stay with them and wait as long as we need to wait. So we got relicensed in California and then got pregnant. And this agency won't place a baby until your youngest child's a year. So that well, we okay. waited another year. Which that makes sense too. Uh-huh. Um, it's a wise way to do it. Right. Um, so yeah, we waited another year. And so now... Lottie's too. So we've been licensed and just waiting for a little over a year now. Um, and so each year we fill out more paperwork to get relicensed. Yeah, right. It's, of course. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know yeah. the exact places to go get fingerprinted and what documents. And we're getting, we're really good at that. We've done that a lot of times now between doing yeah. everything in St. Louis, I guess starting twice in St. Louis, finishing once in St. Louis, and then all the times we've gotten relicensed in, through another agency in California where pro paperwork. Of, of course. Yeah. yeah. So if anybody needs help with yeah. legal paperwork and yeah. government forms and all of that, then we know who to ask. Yeah. And so um, now it's just waiting, Yeah, which is not always fun, but let's dive into some more of those defining moments throughout your life. What, uh, what are some things that people may not know, or I may not know? Well, my parents divorced at the end of my college. So that was definitely a defining moment then and has continued to be something. It's not something that's just simple ever. Yeah, it's I it's can definitely relate with that and complicated. And it doesn't matter if you wait till your kids are out of high school and then do it or what. However, yeah. however you think about it or whatever, it it's just always messy. And it's messier probably for me and my sister than than my parents. Yeah, necessarily. yeah, yeah. So at the end of your college, maybe inspire you to stay in Colorado a little longer yeah. or so you come back yeah. home into the middle of it. So that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. I mean, it was like my sister and I will say our relationship is close because of that time. Like mm-hmm. we can see blessings in it. She and I are six and a half years apart and that's not a real natural age to be like best True. friends. Yeah. Um, really? You were never in school together, no. I guess. Yeah. No. Um. So you know, I think we played together when we were little and then mm-hmm. it got to a point where I had my own friends and, you know, so um, through dealing with what came before the divorce, etc., is how Ashley's and my relationship really became what it was through a lot of trauma and heartache and frustration and all of the above. So that was a, a blessing. And it's still something that I guess bonds us in a way, you know, that is unlike any other. In high school, I I really loved high school and I had a really good group of friends. Part of that was um, like I love people and I love friends, but part of that was a defense mechanism of I didn't like my home life. So, OK, so I was always at friends houses. Now, people did come to my house a lot. I had a very open home. We could we had a nice basement. We play pool, watch movies. Yeah. Um, and it was fine. My parents just weren't overly involved in that part because my mom was sick. Yeah. Um, well, I can definitely but, relate to the defense mechanism there of because that 
I like to talk about that time in my life that that was my family. That mm-hmm. was my yeah. home was yeah. my my friends and especially the church and everything yeah. like that. So um, and so I had a good group of friends at one point in high school in our senior year. We had two. we we read a paper and it would like defined clicks and it was someone else had written. I don't even know who wrote it, but it was funny because then like everyone in, in our English classes were kind of analyzing our own class, like who fit Mm -hmm. where. And it was kind of humorous because my group was the group that didn't fit very many places. Like we ended up with a nickname, like the free lovers. And I don't remember why I I, like (laughs) very seventies vibe. I I, I mean, I guess everybody kind of dated everybody, but that happens all over high school. But I mean, that was just, it was safe. Like there were good friends and Mm -hmm. it was fun and it was not home. Home was not fun for me. Yeah. Um, I think now I'm a homebody, but at that point I didn't want to be there. Yeah. Was safe defined the same for everybody as part of that or or was it? Um, Probably not. But for me, it was, I mean, it was had rocky tumultuous times, you know, boy, girl drama. Of course. High school drama is drama, but it was someplace to belong and it was someplace to talk and it was someplace that was just fun. Yeah. um, And not stressful so we had a really good group of friends and then at the end of our junior year actually on graduation night it was my junior year so we had all sung like my choir had sung at graduation and then everybody came back to my house to hang out it wasn't a huge group that night but in at, at some point in that night through a lot of different circumstances there was an accident and a friend of ours um was killed on our property he wasn't mm-hmm. at my house, but he had just left my house and it was a freak accident. Wow. Um, and so that I would say was probably one of the most defining moments of my my high school. Obviously, it was at my house. I could not leave my house or come home without driving by the spot where yeah. um, John died. And then what that meant for our class going into our senior year. Yeah. So when when we talk about home life and safe environment and going through a traumatic experience like that, literally, you know, feet away from you, Mm -hmm. um, what what do the next few weeks, months look like as far as kind of where that comfort and safety comes from in that? Um, I would say it was we're bonded together in a way that a lot of people don't understand and not a lot of us are best buds anymore. My mm-hmm. friend that I worked for was part of that group. Um, a couple other friends are still good friends. A lot of people are, you know, Facebook friends. But if you get us in a room and you're talking about things like nobody can talk and about that time and not have that story. Right. And then the weeks after we were together all the time, um, it was... Out of necessity and comfort or just be, that's just the natural way things were going anyway? Um, Probably a little bit of both. I mean, yeah. we wanted to be together. We were it was it was how we probably always would have been like we were together. But this time we were together in grief mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, figuring out what that looked like. And um, and it was definitely, like I said, such a defining moment to me what transpired. And then the whole next year, I was actually senior class president. So there were a lot of things that our class chose to do based on John and just like to honor John and try okay. to as that. So it was, it was, was he also a junior yes, at the time he, he passed? Yeah. yeah. It, actually, if you go to Westminster's current campus and you go watch um, baseball, the scoreboard 
says in memory of. Oh, wow. Because okay. that was our senior class gift yeah. to the, because he was on the baseball team. Gotcha. So um, that is, it It says in memory of him. And yeah. they moved it from the old campus. To I was going to say, was campus. the new campus yeah. wasn't around at that yeah. time, was so it? they yeah. moved it. It was a big deal. When they, when they moved it, four or five of that core group went to that game. Wow, um, that's cool. When they moved it and to kind of re-honor it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 One of the things I'm learning from having these conversations is, all of these little stories, these little defining moments connect together in kind of a broader story. Mm-hmm. Um, is Do you have any idea what that looks like? I think maybe I'm beginning to learn about some of those things and connect the dots. I found it interesting when you broke your story down into like this chunk and that chunk. And I've never looked at my life like that. Mm-hmm. And it made me think back like, oh, there is kind of this chunk Ignoring like young, young childhood, which right? Was of course, common yeah. And normal. Um, there was a chunk in high school where I was, it was a defense, you know, defense mechanism. Lots of friends, very social. But at the same time, I would say I'm not always sure of my friendships, and I get a little insecure. So I yeah. want friendships desperately, but I can be kind of insecure, and those kind of um, would bump against each other sometimes. But and that reflection of that time, I mean the the realization that. The safety in that and, and kind of the forcing of wasn't the errand that you desired yeah. to be in the first place anyway. So yeah. it probably wasn't very authentic and genuine. Yeah. And it would be my guess. The reasons I really want to take. I'm at a point where I'm like, I want to take all those tests again because I do feel like they would be so different. And maybe not as different as I think, but. Well, did you I reverse would've... engineer them? Or no, did... <laughs> not like my husband. Okay. No, yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah. no He's way, way too smart to take really, those things for real. He really is. Yeah. Um, but it would have said I was an extrovert and it would have said I was a lot of things and I just don't know if I am anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that that came later moving through college, which was not a defense mechanism because I was nowhere near my family. It was it was yeah. far removed other than conversations with them. Did you know anybody at in Colorado before you went there? No. Yeah. I so knew, clean slate. Yeah. Clean slate. Um I had grown up skiing, so I loved Colorado. My aunt and uncle lived in Denver. Okay. And so I had a family connection, which was important to not feel completely alone. Um, and everyone I knew was going to Mizzou, and I had no desire to just do that. I don't understand why. <laughs> yeah, I had no desire to do that. And so Colorado just seemed like a good fit. Now, I did. Um, there's actually a family from our church who my mom is good, good friends with the mom and she, and I guess her daughter-in-law had babysat me. So I knew Monica and her husband, David, lived there. And David's mom is my mom's best friend. So my mom had said, can I call them? Like, that was my only connection. When wow, my dad okay. took me to school, we went over to Monica's house. She said, can I call my babysitter and introduce you guys? And yeah. I said, sure, I know no one. Like, I, I made this choice for a reason. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, what? Yeah, of course. There's probably Um, a little healthy fear in that for sure. Or at least Um, there should be. Yeah. And so I said, sure. And her babysitter ended up becoming one of my close, close friends out there and introducing me to the church I went to and all my friends. And so that was how I got connected to anyone. But I knew no one. I knew no one out there. Um, So this arc of figuring out who Aaron is in this chunk of your story, where where the dots connecting at this point? I think I was still probably riding the train. I I like social activities. I was 
quick to, to make friends and have friends and do stuff all the time. I was super involved in my church, you know, like going to college activities, going to small group, having fun activities and, and college is the, at least that kind of college, like you have a college activity all the time. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, there's flag football or there's volleyball or there's where we lived close enough to the mountains, you know, there's let's go high course tooth. That's good. Gotcha. This or that, like every weekend. And so I was very social again mm-hmm. and that just worked for me. And I kind of rode that. Is this a, at least a, because with a clean slate, it maybe not a forcing mechanism or are, are you finding the authentic Aaron at this point? I think more so. I would also say um, I really loved the church I was in. And this is another I hadn't really thought about this. This is another tangent all in itself. It was a little or a lot, depending on how you look at it, on the legalistic side. Okay, And I like black and whites. And so that worked really well for me. Interesting. I've come a long way from that, like yeah. seven years of counseling. I've moved to where most of those are less defined in my life, but I, I like structure and I like rules. And in the chaos that surrounded me at home, having some of that, I, I, I fed into that really well. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what about from an artistic standpoint in rules and structure and all that? How does, um, how do those work together? Even that, like I have, I have a design degree and I love designing, but one of the things that I'm trained to do is take someone else's art and make it big. Okay. So even that is there's rules you do to, to take something to scale and then make it large. You know, it's like one half inch to whatever. And you're looking at a, you know, 20 by 20 piece of paper and I'm going to paint it to be 10 foot by 10 foot backdrop. Right. You know, that's it's, there's structure in that there's, rules in that yeah yeah yeah. um to make it not look like a cartoon right yeah yeah. and so even in my art i would say i had more structure than some because it wasn't just sit down and freeform very often like that that's something i was much less familiar with and didn't have the chance to experiment a lot with um and then you're building the set designer is building to spec, you know, like right. you, you have a blueprint, you have to build it. You have to, you have to design something that someone else can build. So there is structure and there is yeah. a, you know, a skill rule and, you know, drafting tables and I can hand draft, which a lot of people can't, but my teacher was yep, adamant that if you are, if you're designing a show and you have to make a change being like, I need to get to my computer and do all this stuff before I can make a change for you. She was adamant, you know how to do it. So you could take a blueprint, change it and hand it back to them. Yeah. And so that's now impressive. I'm, I'm super out of practice, but I could do it at the time. Right. And yeah. um, so even like I said, in my art, there wasn't much like just go experiment. That wasn't the art that I was in at that point. So the seven years of counseling has done what to this kind of legalistic comfort zone? I think it pulled me out of. In high school, feeling the emotions that I would have felt dealing with my mom's illness would have made me crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I just wouldn't have been able to function well. And so it was a healthy defense mechanism. I mean, it was something that kept me going. But getting to, I made it my, I make my way through college. I graduate. I come back to St. Louis. And after hemming and hawing, finally go to see a counselor, realizing that, okay, defense mechanism, good. But now you're... 22, 23, you don't have to have that defense mechanism 
I, I just came to a point where I realized I'd kind of put myself in a box. Like I didn't feel those lows because if I'd felt those lows every time my mom ended up in the hospital, I would have been a basket case. But I also didn't feel a lot of those highs, you know, elated emotions like those just weren't I was I was much more middle ground. Yeah. And that was fine. But coming learning to come out of that and let yourself kind of feel again was a whole process in itself and a lot of healing and a lot of going back to Aaron who didn't feel seen and Aaron who I loved our church. It was harder for me than school because my mom was there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And there were things about being at church when everyone would ask the question, well, how's your mom doing? Cause she would, she'd never be there. She'd be there much less often. Right. And I got to where I hated that question. Cause I well, never and probably not having it. as much visibility or knowledge of, you know, the sickness and things yeah. like that too. So. Yeah. So it was always, well, how's your mom doing? And I just, I just came to loathe that question. Cause it's like, well, I can be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And then I'm kind of throwing her under the bus or I can just smile and say, everything's great. You know, or people like, could ask how Aaron is too. Yes, right. And, yeah. And they didn't. And that yeah. was one thing that was pointed out to me by my counselor. It's like, you needed someone. And there were a couple women, um, one of which you're very close to who did, who saw that, who saw mm-hmm. a little bit more of me. There still probably could have been more that were there, but there were maybe two or three that saw that, Oh, Aaron's home life isn't awesome. Yeah. Like this 15, 16 year old and younger, even some um, coming to church most often by herself and sitting with her friends, you know, isn't necessarily how it's supposed to be. Right. Um, So a lot of counseling to work through those issues, to work through healing in my mom's my relationship. She's she's very healthy now. um, Thanks to a lot of work and God, a lot of work on her part. And she has an interesting story. You should have her yeah, sometime. Yeah, we definitely she really should. Does. My own stuff came first. And then toward the end of our counseling, she and I actually went together. Oh, that's cool. Um, Quite a bit yeah. to kind of work through things. And it's not perfect. And we still have triggers. Like, of course, your family, you know, your family, you you, you can push each other's buttons better than anyone else. Yeah. Um, And you have more baggage with them than anyone else. So we each definitely have triggers. But um, there's been a lot of healing and restoration. But it did take seven years of counseling to get to get to that point. So what's the identity today then from that kind of legalistic perspective? What is the current chapter look like for you? I think there are definitely blacks and black and whites in life. But I think in a lot of areas, things are just more complicated and people are more complicated than that. When, When you begin to understand and this is what your podcast is about, when you get begin to understand like, well, I'm this way because of this part of my life. And I believe this way because of this part of my life. It doesn't make God less God or certain truths less true. But but to see how all of that mixes in with how God wired you, I think, is is where I'm at in seeing that better. And I'd like to learn more specifically about how God wired me, which is one of the reasons why, like I've said already, I want to take those tests. But just to, to get to a point where, you know, I... I just look at it things very differently thanks to counseling and thanks to understanding grace more and understanding, yeah. you know, when you, when you're in that legalistic box, you miss, you can miss grace. You can miss a lot of things that, um, well, you do this and you don't do this. I mean, it's just, that's how it is. You do this and you don't do this. And it's, right. like, and it's a lot of things are more complicated than that. And I've found that to be hugely true 
as I raise children. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. You know, you add that level of like how you're thinking about it and your soul and your emotions are also a factor here. And just to say to ignore those and to only say this is right and this is wrong is not necessarily the best way to teach a child to then make good choices. Yeah. It's not always just this is right or this is wrong. It's understanding why and how and what God says. And it's just so much deeper than, well, this is right and this is wrong. And that's more how my my thought process was for a long time. How does that look in? Let's talk about parenting self at your children's ages. How do those types of complex questions look as opposed to you don't do this, you don't do that? Um, it, it is fun and interesting to watch the two of you parent your children and mm-hmm. kind of be able to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. So where does that come from? What does it look like? Honestly, a lot of it comes back to, again, adoption. So mm-hmm. when I was starting that process, um, two other two women in the church, um, one had heard about a conference in Nashville. And so we drove to Nashville. It's called Empowered to Connect. I recommend it to anyone who would ever adopt and even not adopt, just parent. We went there and the speaker and the leader of the conference, um, Dr. Karen Purvis, she basically blew my mind. Um, she's a uh, a professor and actually um, at TCU, uh, the Child Development Center is named after her now. But she just blew my mind because she started talking about how children's brains are wired and how what like emotions happen and hormones and what that does and just different things. And it was like, oh, OK, like in my mind, like, you know, you hear things like self-soothe and you hear things. I had a lot of friends with babies before me because mm-hmm. I was younger. You hear what they say and different things. And all of a sudden things were like, oh, this is so much more complicated than we do this and we just don't do this. Like right. here are the family rules or here are the Christian rules and you just do them. And, and under, you know, when I would watch people parent like a tantrum and you just shouldn't be screaming, you just shouldn't be screaming. And then learning that like, or the, oh, the good old, I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. That's one of my favorite phrases I will admit, but you know, <laughs> but like understanding, learning like, Oh, there comes a point where like, their little brain cannot actually do what you say. Mm-hmm. Like they cannot. And, and there's another book that they recommend a lot called um, the whole brain child, um, which I also recommend for any parent and really just any, if you want to learn how your brain works, where it's like a lid gets flipped and it's like, it doesn't matter how much you yell and scream. This child cannot hear you really. Um, and learning those things. And it, it just kind of blew blew that out of the water. And so that was, again, that was before I was married or had children. I was single and I went, oh, I had a lot of ideas about parenting. <laughs> right. And yeah. they're gone now. Um, and so we always chose to parent our kids a little bit differently because we always planned to adopt. So mm-hmm. there are things that if we hadn't thought we'd bring kids into our home that could have trauma, that could have come from hard places, we would maybe not have chosen all of the things we do and don't do, um, like we don't spank. I don't have a problem with spanking. Like I believe, and that's a whole nother complicated yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another podcast, another day. Another podcast, another day. And in general, you got to do it right. But it's not something I think, oh, this is awful. We don't do it because we would never spank a child with trauma. Of course, yeah. And so we knew if we were potentially going to bring a child into our home with trauma, We weren't going to do it to Jack and then not do it to this kid. And so I think it's really um, 
I learned better. I think I'm a much better parent because of counseling, because I can look at him and and say, like, okay, this is how you're feeling. This is why you're responding that way. You still need to know right from wrong. Yeah, there are still things you cannot do. There's still things that like if mommy says, come and do this, like you don't always get to ask why. Sometimes it's for your safety. You just do it, dude. You know, like we'll have that conversation. Like sometimes you just. Like, I'm happy to sit down and like, I will have a conversation with you over here, but you obey. You know, we, we, it's not like we don't make our kids obey. Yeah, we totally yeah, yeah. do. But we definitely, I remember the first time my mom was like, Jack can ask for a compromise in certain situations. Mm-hmm. He can say, Can I have a compromise? And how old is Jack right now? He's five. Which hearing a five year old say the word compromise <laughs> is quite entertaining. And my mom would laugh and she'd be like, he's going to go to like school and look at his teacher and be like, can I have a compromise? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, like we'll understand boundaries with that as well. Yeah. OK, but, you little adult. What's yeah. happening right now? There are phrases we use in our home that a lot of people probably wouldn't necessarily yeah. use in their home because of that education, because and it started with adoption and it has just grown out of that Matt's a huge reader. So he's read a bunch. I've read a bunch. Some of it, like I said, adoption education that just came with that. Well, it's fascinating that uh, intentionality and the level with which they seek to prepare a potential adopting family before they will hand you a child mm-hmm. and the home visits and, and all the intense scrutiny that's put up on you. Yet you can go to the hospital, have a baby of your own. They're like, bye. Yeah. See ya. Yeah. Two, you've been here two days. Yeah. See ya. And yeah. so there, there's a lot of wisdom in the preparation and figuring out how that might work yeah. would be brilliant. Yeah. I felt like we were like, I, I think Matt would say, cause he attended that conference once with me, once we were married, it came, we went to it in Nashville and then it came to St. Louis Yeah, and um, he attended it with me there. And even he was like, Oh, Oh wow. Like, you know, and it, yeah. and it was, it's super helpful. I mean, I would tell, and I've told lots of people like, well, if you can go to this and learn how kids brain works and what trauma looks like and yeah. you know, it, it's hugely valuable. Yeah. Hugely valuable. Moving into current state, Aaron, what does the next five to 10 years look like for you and your family? Forgetting that Matt answered this question <laughs> on a podcast. Um, I would say we if I'm saying things we hope and mm-hmm. I, that's about as far as I, I could probably go. Um, we hope to be settled somewhere closer to family. California is an interesting place to live and we've learned a lot and we've had a lot of fun, but it's not where we really want to stay. We're really far from everybody. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's not our goal. Um, so I would like to think that in five to 10 years, we're somewhere else. I would like to think in five or less years. We're somewhere else, <laughs> Fair but, enough. Yeah. But, um, and we have wonderful friends and wonderful people there, but it's just not um, going to be home at this point. Yeah. Um, Which is actually an interesting point when kind of the full circle nature of that, of the trauma of family early on and the defense mechanisms and and finding the escape mm -hmm. to now recognizing and kind of wanting to be near family. And it it means something different now, obviously. But yeah, yeah, it's just kind of an interesting full circle there. Yeah. I definitely was not someone who ran away and stayed away. Yeah. Yeah. now I've had to work through a lot of stuff. Of course. Yeah. As but, many people should yeah. who make that choice. Yeah. yeah. Um, but family is, is hugely important to us. Um, and we would like to be close to, I mean, everybody lives, you know, either Missouri, Texas or East of that. Yeah. So getting even just East of the Rockies would be 
um, yeah. the goal. Um, so I'd like to say that I would think that in five years we'd be done building our family. I hope that that includes adoption. Like that's our prayer. I think we feel ready for that. We're very much still passionate about that. Waiting sucks, but um, so I would think those are probably the biggest things that I would hope looked different in five to 10 years. There are a lot of things that like the homeschooling thing earlier is not something I ever really thought I'd consider. And now I am. So what that looks like in five to 10 years, I have no idea. Yeah. Our thought is probably it's just a California thing, but maybe it's not. Yeah. Maybe it's something we love. We got a lot of friends who do it. So maybe it's something we really get into. Um, so to to finish things off, walking through the the standard 10 questions here, what is your favorite word or phrase? I don't think I have a favorite word. That always gets me. One of my favorite phrases is one that Matt says a lot and has become kind of our, not our family mantra, but what we go to a lot is he always says it won't always be like this. Mm-hmm. And that's become in good time and in bad time, you know, in good time, they're two and they're little and they're running around and it's so sweet. And you're like, this is so amazing. And it's like, it won't always be like this, like a reminder to to be present, to soak up the moment, to right. see it all. And then in the moment where I love my daughter, but she's not she was not a good sleeper. She is now. And, you know, she's 18 months old and I'm waking up three or four times a night and I'm pulling out my hair, you know, being able to look at Matt and be like, it won't always be like this. (laughs) It won't always be like this. Please, please, it won't. Um, It's definitely become our kind of like, yeah, just to remember in both those moments, like this will change. This is fluid. This is either be fully present and remember it or remind yourself that it will be in your past. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is your least favorite word or phrase? I don't like, I don't like always and never very much. Yeah. The I, absolutes. Yeah. Absolutes. I'm not, um, too much in my life have looked so different than I ever thought. Like mm-hmm. I would have said, I, I will never live in California. <laughs> I right. Would have yeah. Said that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and God has other plans. So yeah. I wouldn't say that. I don't know. Those are what popped in my head first. Yeah. No, yeah. That make, it's funny. Cause I had that exact conversation with Asher this morning. Another tangent there possible. Uh, <laughs> what trait do you most admire in others? Probably humility. I'm not sure it was modeled for me well. And so when I see it, it's something that is, is really, I feel like that's a, it's obviously a godly quality and it's just something that to me, attractive, maybe not the right word. I want to draw near to that. Like I don't love the pompous attitude and I know I am that it's a lot, probably more than I would like to admit, but I really admire humility and that would probably be. That'd probably be it. We all have some size of chip on our shoulder, <laughs> some bigger than others. Yeah. Um, what trait do you most deplore or despise? I guess in along the same lines, like the unwillingness to be to learn. Okay. To to admit there's something you don't know, to that pompous kind of I must yeah. be right, I must say something attitude. Uh what talent would you most like to have? You have so many anyway. Find one that you don't have. <laughs> oh, you're kind. Dancing, maybe? Like going out Saturday night dancing or like musical theater Probably dancing, theater, musical, musical theater dancing. I used to um, I'm not a like a great singer by any means, but I enjoy singing. Obviously, I enjoy theater and I would give my parents a hard time and be like, I could be a triple threat if you just have kept me in. There dance. you go. Yeah, you didn't. So yeah. that's why I'm not. A tri- <laughs> um, yeah. So. so your your dream would be. The dream ballet in, in is that kind of your your favorite musical um, theater number 
This... No, if I had to pick Good. a music, that, no, that was That was no. definitely the right um, answer. I don't know if there's... I mean, I never really wanted to be a dancer, but for most things, you kind of got to do a little of it yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Like, put me on the Muni stage, like, pipe dream, kind of like, yep. uh, in my, like, never going to happen, but like, let me be Maria in Sound of Music. Kind okay. Of. Yeah. Like, that would be, I grew up loving the theater. I was never super active in the theater until college. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I've always loved it. I picture myself in Newsies. That's where, yes, you know, you if go. I could learn how yeah. to dance, that's what I would be yep. doing. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I had I been a little more in touch with who I was becoming, I would have gone into social work. Wow. Okay. What uh, profession would you least like to do? I don't know. A lot of stuff with numbers. I don't really know. I've never thought about that. Yeah. yeah. I've never been a huge profession. Yeah. Like I just kind of went with I wanted to be a wife and a mom. Yeah. It's more what I wanted than anything else. So I never really thought about what I hated. Yeah. No, that's that's quite fair. Um, what is your greatest fear? Physical fear? Probably fire. Okay. If we're going like yeah. thinking more abstract than that, I'm not sure. But physical fear would probably be fire. I heard Sarah telling you about our adventure last night about me turning the fan on and nearly trying to burn the house down as Asher was trying a science experiment. That's fun. Yeah, it was good times. You probably would have had a heart attack or something while this was <laughs> happening. The flames were pretty great, by the way. Um <laughs> Okay, so you talked a little bit earlier about how God wires us. So who is God? He, to me, he is, I guess if I, was, if I was trying to sum it up, he would be my savior and my friend. Good succinct answer. Yeah. Um, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive? I mean, definitely what the first thing that pops into my head is the pretty cliche well done my good and faithful servant or some all of us who of grew up with yeah, the bible like, teachings yeah that's, that's what we're gonna say you know like i you got there you know, not like you got there like you have to earn it but like, yeah, like you did it you did it like you you did good like you you did some form of good you listened and and grew and like and i'm excited to see you that'd be fun god yeah. being like i'm so glad you're here now yeah like that, for sure you know what advice would you give to 20 year old you? That none of it's going to look like you think it's going to look and mm-hmm. that's okay. Your timing isn't, isn't God's and that's okay. But learn to be patient now. Yeah. And I'm still not great at that. You know, I can see the evidence of that clearly in my life and I still struggle on certain days to wait patiently for what is next. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if I could, if I could learn that now, if I could tell 20 year old Aaron, like, yeah, you're going to watch a lot of friends, things you want, you know, marriage, children happen so much before you and the waiting and that it would all work out. Okay. Like mm-hmm. this is what, like, I'm going to give you what you want and better and things you didn't know you wanted. I wish I I wish I could tell Aaron that. And sometimes I would I have to remind myself of that still. I mean, yeah, uh, we like Lottie is the biggest blessing. Surprise planned, prayed for Matt and then her are probably the biggest of like, holy moly. I just had no idea that I needed you yeah. like, that I need. Like I was always looking for someone and Matt was that person mm-hmm. and that. I can see God's hand in having us not meet till later. And I feel like there are certain things that are like that we didn't have to deal with. I think we're better parents, et cetera, et cetera, because of age and because of all of this stuff. 
But Lottie is the biggest like, oh, I had no idea I actually needed you. It's not just like I love you and I do, but it's like, oh, I needed you. Yeah. And I had no idea because getting pregnant with her was a big surprise after moving mm-hmm. like yeah. all the way across the country and going, what, what? <laughs> I just left everyone I love. I just yeah, moved yeah. 1500 miles from everyone I know and everyone I love and my support system. And, and she is, and it was, it took a while to adjust to that. And she is truly something that I'm like, I can't imagine my life without you. You are needed in our family. Yeah. Um, That's it, profound. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, it is, you, you said something else profound in there, which is just dealing, just thinking about the patience of, and what you thought you wanted then, but you have now one of the things I've, I've realized about myself, if I had had those things that I wanted then that I do have now, mm-hmm. I was not ready for them. Great. I yeah. would have screwed up every bit of it. Mm-hmm. And just by growing a little more and maturing a little more, I say matured, but you know, it, it's life <laughs> that I just wasn't ready for it at yeah. the time. So, yeah. And I really thought I was, I yeah, mean, of course. I, I really thought I was. And you know, it, the seven years of counseling helped with a lot of things and getting married at 22 would have not been healthy for me or my husband. You know, I needed, I needed to figure me out more so that yeah. I could be fully myself and fully. And I'm still, you know, we're all still learning. We're all still growing. Of course. Yeah. But 22 year old Aaron would have been stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad you are the Aaron you are and all of the things that have made you who you are. So Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. And um, we will have to have you and Matt on together to clear up any of the discrepancies (laughs) that may exist between your stories. But thank you again for coming on. Thank you. So thanks for listening. And thank you to M.F. Bolton for the soundtrack to find the story. I'm your host, Lance Leonard, and I'll see you next week. 